Hey Northridge, welcome to A Little Better, where our goal is to know God better and to do better so that we can be a little better. This is A Little Better, and this is our Israel bonus episode number two. So we're going to be talking about the trip again, and we've still got some special guests with us. My name is Aaron, Henrietta Campus Pastor. Let's get some intro of who else we got with us. I am Drew. I was uh, kind of the director on the Israel trip. He's Drew Davidson. Drew Davidson, sorry. <laughs> you should, yeah, be able to tell. Yeah, his voice doesn't sound like Drew Karshner's. Neither does mine. I'm Meg, Meg Davidson. Married to Drew Davidson and the producer of our video series in Israel. That's right. This is Meg and Drew of O. Davidson Creative. Shout out. They were on the trip and actually not just on the trip. They were the trip. Let's be honest. Um, Connor, the... <laughs> I the, don't know what that means. The, <laughs> I don't either. It's just how it came I'm out. I'm just talking again. It's fine. <laughs> so Connor is with us as well, but he's doing the thing he normally does, which is creep in the background and look at the computer screen and hide from the microphone. Last time, I would love to set the record straight. Last time, Connor made it seem as if... Drew Karshner and I like actively prevent him from speaking on the podcast. There's a third microphone that he yeah, continually... We all, all three of us have microphones right now. Which is a major improvement <laughs> over last time. <laughs> uh, so hopefully there's a little bit of a quality improve. But Connor actively avoids the third microphone during our normal podcast recording. So I just want to let everybody know he could be, but he's choosing not to be. So... Yeah. But hey, actually, on a serious um, on a serious note, we want to take a moment and acknowledge um, the death of Drew Karshner's father. So uh, as was announced on uh, Sunday, uh, Dennis Karshner passed away while we were in Israel. And um, that is a, you know, a heavy weight for all of us. Um, as a church, um, I think for those of us that were on the trip with the Karshners, I think there's kind of that added little, um, I guess, an added weight in our hearts of being there as they were finding out. And um, I, I'll, I'll just say a few things about that, and then we wanna we wanna keep moving. But um, for Drew and the family, we were we were there in Israel. Like we said, Drew and Ashley were together with with all of us, and. Uh, actually, we had finished all of our filming. We had built in a day or a day and a half or so um, in case things didn't go well in the filming or we didn't have good weather or whatever. So we had finished everything and we were in that flex time and we actually had a, a whole day to be able to just do some touristy things, which was going to be really cool. And we were at breakfast and that's when um, Drew got the call and found out about his dad. So um, obviously everything changed from there. We just got them on the first flight we possibly could. They left almost immediately for the airport, which we're very glad in retrospect that that worked out. Um, um, because they ended up getting home almost 24 hours before the rest of the team. So that was a huge uh, blessing, at least we, we hope it was, we believe it was for them to be able to ho be home as soon as they could. Um, and so anyway, just as a church, please be praying for, for Drew and Ashley and the whole family. This is going to be a long road as they react and try to figure out what life's going to look like. So please be praying. And uh, we just wanted to acknowledge that sadness. We were happy to be able to be together um, there as a team at the funeral and be supporting them. So be praying for the family. We're, we're certainly uh, heartbroken over that. So speaking of the trip home, uh, we'll shift gears and talk a little bit about what the experience was like for the rest of us. Obviously, there was a, a sad tone as we were heading home. We were all pretty shocked. But 
there's a few things that happened on the way home that did lighten the mood a little bit. Um, and one of them was our taxi ride to the airport. So we get in the taxi. Okay, we have a lot of gear, right? So there's there's four of us now, Drew, Meg, Connor, and I. And we have a lot of gear. I mean, it takes a lot of things, more things than I would have known. To more make, than you expect. <laughs> to, make a, to make a series happen. And obviously, we also were wearing clothes during the trip. So there's <laughs> we also had luggage. Well, some of us had like multiple clothes. Aaron only had one outfit. Yeah. So his luggage was small. It's very true. But the true. rest of us like packed like normal people. So, you know, we had some Conservatively, but... A Normal. few changes. <laughs> they decided that not wearing the same shirt for we 10 days. We brought coats because we checked the weather ahead of time. So there was that also. Yeah, it actually ended up being very cold. So um, for our entire stay in Jerusalem, I don't think it ever got above 50 degrees. I think 50 would have been the high. Yeah. It was in the 30s, 40s, and maybe low 50s. Uh, that's Fahrenheit, by the way. And it rained every day that we were in Jerusalem, at least, at least some. Some part of the day it rained. Or or almost all of the day. <laughs> so 30s and 40s, I'm sure you guys, you know, that's still, it was very cold here in Rochester. I know it snowed and stuff, but we, I personally was very not prepared <laughs> for 30s and 40s <laughs> and raining, which is why I wore every single item of clothing I brought. And Every, some he procured while on the trip. Yes, I was. I was given a uh, some a headdress type like scarf thing that I ended up wearing over my ears for the whole trip because I was freezing. But anyway, back to the taxi ride. So we we get all of our we we had this taxi arranged, blah, blah blah. Our tour guide had gotten it for us, and then it turned out that a guy changed. The taxi driver was like, "Nah, I don't want to do that anymore." So he pushed it off on his friend who had a very small car. So it the four of us fitting in this car with him. I mean, it was like a normal, I'm going to call it like a normal sedan. It was a four-door sedan. Yeah, a four-door sedan, which with a driver and four people, that means every seat's already going to be taken. Seat. And we're all adults. We're, like. all, ad- we're all adults. <laughs> Normal-sized adults. I'm, right. I'm a little travel-sized, but still at 5'2", I, I, I take up an adult-sized seat. <laughs> as, as an adult is wont to do. <laughs> and then we have all of our gear. So I'm talking like, it is not an exaggeration to say every person in that vehicle except for the driver had at least one or two full-size pieces of luggage on their lap. For the whole trip to the airport. I mean, in order to do the the shoot, we need it. Everyone used their full allowance, which is a personal item, a carry-on, and a checked bag. So... It, like. That will not all fit in the trunk <laughs> of a four-door sedan. No. And it's seriously, it's, you know, a 35 or 40-minute drive. We all got out of that vehicle with, like, multiple <laughs> worthless limbs yep. because they had been crushed. It was, it was like we had aged, like, 50 years each. Yeah, we definitely spilled couldn't walk. Out. Yeah, it was, it was rough. We arrived at the airport at at mid, uh, I guess nine o'clock. Our flight was going to be at midnight, so we mm-hmm. we pile out. It's already getting late, and we yeah, it was an interesting flight. <laughs> but anyway, we we got to the airport. We got all of our bags in, which they're not thrilled about. Israel is very tight on security, and they're not thrilled about all of our camera gear, especially not lithium ion batteries and mm-hmm. all the things that look. All the gadgety stuff is obviously something that looks like it could have some nefarious purpose, even though it's all just camera gear. It's true. So everything gets taken out of every single bag, and it's a whole nightmare. And when we got, we flew the 12-hour trip from Tel Aviv to JFK. We landed at JFK and rushed to our flight to Rochester, which would have left at 7.30 a.m., um, but they had rebooked us for a, a noon flight because they thought we couldn't make our trip. So that was a little frustrating. We ended up spending five more hours in the airport. I would, I would like to say for the record, Aaron tried to get on that flight without us. <laughs> like That's we were still true. trying to go through security because camera gear. Um, and maybe I forgot to take my iPad out and drew 
Davidson brought along his film camera, and there was, you know, some security issues after we had even. I mean, we had um, to get budged in front our of baggage a and lot then go of, through security and customs again. So it was. Like it was a lot more than your average. Hassle. So yeah, and and at JFK, so that was fun. But Aaron tried to get on the plane. I, he he bleeped sure his did. little he'll, his little bloop on his on his boarding pass. <laughs> And uh, was prepared to leave us at JFK. Well, he made it home early. So I rushed. I did rush. I made it through. <laughs> and I, ru- I got to our area to try to board. I, in my defense, much like Mount Arbel, I thought I was being sacrificial in leading the team. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out I was not. But I got. I had my boarding pass. I was trying to just say like, hey, all of our friends are coming. Let us on. And everyone else is like, beep, beep, beep. My boarding pass gets there like, hah, hah, hah. And I was like, oh, no, that's not a good sound. And we ended up not getting on the flight, but it was fine. We got home. Everybody, they only lost two of our bags, which they ended up delivering later. So all is well. We made it home. Um, And so thankful that Drew and Ashley could make it home much, 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 much sooner than we did. Um, But speaking of the weather, it was pretty cold while we were there. I want to just mention one thing we got to do that was kind of touristy, which was less exciting given the temperature. (laughs) So we got to go into the Dead Sea, which if you know about the Dead Sea, super high salt content, you can float in it as a result of the density differences in the water and all that stuff. I don't understand the physics of it, but you can float. But normally you go like really far south and it's in the desert. It's very usually very warm. The resorty parts are... Yeah, the resort parts are very warm. On the south end. And we actually, because of time constraints, we were floating on the north end of the Dead Sea, which is not as, not as warm. Also, it's the middle of winter. Also, it was very unseasonably cold, like much colder than normal. So it had been raining that day. It was in the, I don't know, was it 50 degrees? No. I think it was like 45. Yeah, I think it was. It, we did not reach 50 degrees that we day. We were at Masada that day and it was 50s. And then we, once Which we got like up to the, the north. Which is like in the desert on a mountain. Yeah. And then we drove for an hour and a half north. north. And it was, yeah, definitely in the 40s. So it's in the 40s and we're about to go swimming. So we got there and we we're all kind of like, there's no way we're doing this. There's no way we're doing this. And then like. No, I was never wavering. I'm like, we are in Israel. The Dead Sea is right there. I grew up swimming in Lake Ontario, which is five degrees all the time. So it's like, I'm going in. I looked up the temperature of the Dead Sea right now and it is like 20 degrees warmer than the air. So we just have to get down there and get in. <laughs> And we will be fine. Our fearless pioneer leader, Meg, took us all it's the way true. down and we made it in. And actually, as she described, the water was much warmer than the air. Mm-hmm. So floating in it was about the most comfortable thing you could be doing <laughs> in that moment. Uh, I mean, yeah, we were wet when we got out. So that was a little rough. It was kind of but... an ironic challenge trying to keep as much of your body under the, the super floaty water <laughs> as possible. It, where yeah, the norm- point of the Dead Sea is to float in it. The normal Under normal <laughs> water conditions, you could have just gone underwater right. and stayed warm. Stayed warm. In the Dead Sea, you're like fighting to stay as low as you could. You literally can't make yourself go underwater. It's Mm -hmm. crazy. It is a very strange sensation. How did the Dead Sea taste, Aaron? Oh, uh, yeah. So Connor and I decided to give it a quick lick to let a little bit get on our lips. It specifically says, do not ingest any water. If you do, call a lifeguard immediately. So we decided to just give it a quick lick. And, um, you know, surprisingly, it is very, very Salty, okay. in a word. It's like Very the salty. saltiest thing. It's like saltier than licking salt. Like <laughs> somehow. <laughs> somehow saltier than actual salt. And also, props to Ashley Karshner, who did get in the Dead Sea, because she is always cold and was just 
an ice cube the entire time. I was going to say, she was, she was on like three or four days straight of, of perpetual shivering <laughs> <laughs> and decided to get in the water. Drew actually, Drew Karshner said to me, when we were all like contemplating changing, the girls had gone into the bathroom and the changing area, and Drew Karshner said to me, I will give you a million dollars if she comes out in a swimsuit. And there she was. She, she came right it. out and in now a swimsuit. Now a millionaire. Yeah, so And um, uh, Drew finally. Karshner... Did not. Yeah, yes. he abstained. I will. We do have to tell the truth. <laughs> Drew Karshner did stay out, but it was actually helpful because he got some photos of yeah, us. There's no proof that yeah, we were Yeah, we wouldn't there. have had those if he hadn't. So, yeah. Great. So anyway, it was, there were some fun moments on the trip and the cold weather did contribute to a lot of how we had to plan and work around things. But mostly it just meant I wore every quarter zip I brought for the entire time. <laughs> all at once. Yes, all at once. All three of them, all at once. So let's let's just change gears, and I would love to hear specifically from Drew and Meg for kind of the rest of our time. Let's focus in on on what you guys had to, um, what you guys learned, and what you experienced as people who, for Meg, this was your first time in Israel, and and Drew, this was your first time leading the the filming part of this in in Israel with one of our trips. So first of all, let's just say what did we learn as a team? How would you say our approach differed on our last day of filming compared to our first day of filming? Well, one major thing for us was that when we do videos, we work with a lot of people and typically they aren't professional speakers. So for us, getting to work with someone like Drew, with um, you, Aaron, helping him behind the scenes, um, both of you as professionals was amazing. We made a lot of fun of Drew last time about like, you know, he needed 25 takes and whatever, but he really did not. Like he did amazing. He did it all extemporaneously, which means like just from notes, not from a script. And um, yeah, he couldn't have done it better. So that made our lives a lot easier on that front. Yeah, I think um, it took a few shoots going in to figure out how we all work together and would work together to like maximize our time and efficiency at each new location. Um, and I think because this our, we were going for a different style this time from previous uh, video shoots, uh, we had to figure out how to make that style work with the the crew we brought, uh, everyone, and the gear we brought. Um, so yeah, I think just organizing ourselves uh, and making sure like camera crew was set up, like me and Connor were set up to just like pick a spot. Like a lot of the time was devoted to picking a spot to shoot that both served the story we were telling and looked nice. Uh, Both and, of those are important things. Yeah, <laughs> um, and then we could just like be ready to plop down and start filming within ten minutes after getting everything set up. I think that was one thing we kind of like figured out as we were going. Like within a day or two, would really maximize our time. Yeah, I, as somebody who's not a video professional, I definitely underestimated. I, Meg and I would kind of work together, I feel, a little bit on our itinerary and kind of like a, a, as everyone's going to bed at night, we'd be kind of texting in the group thread about like, okay, what does the schedule look like for tomorrow? That kind of a thing. And I will say I was underestimating the first two days, the amount of time it would take us to spot the right location and then to really dial in a great looking shot. I, you know, I'm like, oh, I don't know, we're going to get there and we'll just start, you know? So I think it's kind of like how it had been done before. And I think realizing that and like shifting our way so we could achieve a different result kind of was what we ran into and kind of focused on doing after that initial couple takes or a couple uh, 
locations. Yeah, we talked a little bit about B-roll in the last episode of the podcast, which is a really big part of how we're making the videos feel different. So we needed to allot enough time for us to shoot that, which is basically some environmental shots, things like that, where it's not the camera pointing at Drew's face while he talks. Um, and that's going to play a big role in making the videos feel a little different. So we just had to have some communication about like, okay, this approach that we've had for these first two days probably isn't going to result in the kind of success that we're trying to get to. So, you know, we just figured out, oh, if we talk about this, it'll be great. I love it. And definitely there was a shift. And I think we, uh, like anything, you're, I would hope it gets a little better the more days you do it in a row. So um, yeah, I think great by the end, we, we had a, we had a good system there. So then how about you guys at a personal level, what did you guys learn? Not what did we learn as a team? What did you learn? And this can be related to your craft or about Israel, you know, the geography or something. I, I just would love to hear how you guys feel like you're different as people um, as a result of this trip. I think as much as we kind of pushed you guys to flex a little in your understanding of uh, like how to make a video work, I had to flex a little uh, and kind of willing to accept the circumstances as they came and work with within constraints. Okay. Um, Talk to me about what that, what, what do you mean by that? And just, okay. yeah. I think time and location restraints, like we had, like we booked a boat for an hour and it was going a place. So we, we didn't have time to like stop the boat and um, get the perfect lighting. Um, Are you, is that a thing that you would normally get under normal circumstances? It'd be <laughs> something I tried to achieve. Um, but Drew is a perfectionist. Yeah, I, I feel like bit. I just need to insert that here. <laughs> I'm a bit of a perfectionist and I'll, I default to taking my time to kind of achieve a vision, whereas this pushed me to really um, work under pressure, which I'm fairly good at do doing, but this really made, uh, made me work within uh, a set of constraints to achieve uh, some uh, something approaching the vision we were going for, but still like work within what we, we were able to do. Mm -hmm. He had nice. to get used to his wife saying, um, we need to start now. <laughs> no, I'm already what used to that. What are you doing? <laughs> I said it a lot more, I feel like. Yeah, you <laughs> I push, and sometimes that was helpful. Uh, you guys work together so well. It was fun to watch your guys' dynamic. And even, of course, like as a person who doesn't know, I'm going to assume, like, well, we can start in two minutes, right? And then Drew Davidson, from maybe a perfectionist and a professional standpoint of, under, like for your actual job, you get more time. So you, you have habits and things established. And so both of those kinds of things coming together was, was fun. And Meg was almost always the voice of reason. <laughs> she usually is. I try to be. <laughs> but what about you, Meg? What did, what did you learn? Or yeah, again, it could be about the video stuff or, or anything. Sure. Yeah. I had not been to Israel before. I'm fairly well-traveled, um, you know, for who I am, but, um, I really just was fascinated by the, the the way that all, not all religions, but like the three big monotheistic religions, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism came, like all come together, especially in Jerusalem. Like this mm -hmm. holy place is holy for everyone. And those tensions were really interesting to experience in person. I study culture professionally, um, aside from video and getting a, getting to experience that was a really interesting tension. Um, so that was something that was on my mind the whole time. I love that. 
And I think the Temple Mount is probably the place where that is most on display. The Temple Mount is uh, a platform created by Herod in the first century to hold the temple that was there until it was destroyed in 70 AD. But it is now covered by the most iconic thing in Jerusalem, which is the Dome of the Rock, the big gold-topped dome that you probably associate with Jerusalem, um, which is a Muslim holy site, but also obviously very holy for Jews because of the fact that that's where the temple was. And then for Christians, it's significant because... A, that's where the temple was, and that's also just Jerusalem, which is significant in many ways. So, where did some somebody tell the story about the that Jewish group that was on the Temple Mount? Remind <laughs> us of like the geopolitics of that for a minute. I'm trying to remember how all that went down. So, technically, so Arabs uh, or Muslims, sorry, have control of the Temple Mount site, but uh, the Israeli government controls access to it. Okay. Um, so they're like our armed guards uh, present at every entrance and ag- exit, which are the same thing. Um, uh, so, and Jews generally are, like, Orthodox Jews won't go up on the Temple Mount because, I don't know. They I've, basically are just really offended that, yeah, that it's the, not theirs. Yeah, the the Muslims have And I think, too, and, there's, like, the risk of, that we're not 100% sure where the Temple was, and I think there's a fear that you could accidentally step be walking on where the, the Temple was the or the where the Holy of Holy yeah. was, you yeah, know, yeah. so there's, like, a, oh, man, we just don't even want to risk it. <laughs> And they've been ste- uh, Jews have been steadily pushing to get to be able to pray on the Temple Mount to be closer to the where the location of the the temple was, and so we observed a group of uh, Jews uh, escorted by a number of armed guards uh, traversing the Temple Mount area. I didn't see them necessarily praying specifically, but they were definitely surrounded by a number, like several guards, mm. while they were up there Some because there have been. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Some, it was forty degrees, and, and they were not wearing shoes. Some were wearing what Crocs? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah somehow, <laughs> because tennis shoes and rubber weren't invented in biblical times, then you know you could wear them and still technically have your shoes off. It's or like something. a perfect loophole for yes. keeping shoes on while also taking your shoes off for holy ground. Yeah, but anyway, it was a kind of an interesting moment because they're walking, and they actually kind of like engulfed us at one point. And I was like, oh, man, I, if there's one place I don't want to be, like if you're going to hear about a shooting or a stabbing in Jerusalem, it's sometimes right around the Temple Mount because of stuff like this. And I was like, and we're in the middle of everybody. Great, 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 great. <laughs> because of the tension between Jews and uh, Muslims uh, in that area, and especially on the Temple Mount, that's very yeah volatile kind of the, area. the hot spot. Yeah. for that sort of tension, yeah. So you liked the clash of cultures, not, maybe not, I shouldn't say clash, but the, the combination <laughs> of cultures that occurs in Jerusalem. Yes. Um, and then I guess what was most meaningful for you guys as you were on this, maybe maybe from a spiritual perspective or, or just in general, what was most meaningful about being able to be in Israel and be part of this uh, trip? I think uh, I, I'd been once before, so I'd seen a lot of the sites and I'd been like part of a tour group, whereas this time it was, we were on our own, doing our own thing, where we hit some sites, but... It was less um, purposeful, A to B to Z, mm-hmm. uh, as than last time. As tourists, like yeah, you were very tourists. intentional about shooting, but right. then it was a video first yeah. tour. Uh, stuff some other stuff. So in this there. time, and even a little bit last time, I really enjoyed seeing the the faith history and the diversity of faith history or Christian history um, and inheritance from Judaism that that exists in a place like that that we don't really see in America, like millennia of Christians, um, like evidence of Christians in that site, especially in Jerusalem, I think is really Mm. cool, tying my faith to millions of people before me and uh, pilgrims. I think one of my favorite sites in 
all of Israel is in a certain church within the Holy Sepulchre, a church of the Holy Sepulchre, because there's different like cathedrals in there. Uh, pilgrims have marked crosses on a, a walkway, like uh, all the way down a, a pretty long stairwell. Uh, just seeing like the generations of Christians that have come before me and marked their their faith in Christ. And hmm. um, yeah, I thought that was really yeah. cool. I think for both of us, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre was really interesting. A lot of modern like American Christians will sort of be offended that there are you know, thousands of years of stuff built on top of like where Jesus was crucified and buried. And we want to like touch the wall and see, you know, the tomb and things like that. But just thinking about like, you know, the most important thing to those early Christians was marking that spot. And the way they knew how to do that was to build chapels on top of it. So Mm -hmm. it's just generations of Christians building things that are a monument to that spot. So if you can sort of shift your perspective and think about it that way, it becomes a really interesting thing. And walking through the different chapels and things that have been built as a monument was a really interesting perspective, I think. Yeah, I think seeing like maybe the rock where Jesus' body lay after he died is super cool, but seeing the church that his followers built afterwards and worship of him, I think, is an even like greater testament to him and his work. For sure, yeah. I hadn't been me. to Israel, yeah, so the whole experience was really interesting. I'm a pretty visual thinker um, and sort of an abstract thinker, if I'm you know, not being too pretentious saying that. But so it has, like, as I'm reading the Bible, the, the places where the everything is taking place has never been, like, that important to me before. Um, but now that I've seen them, the visual part of my brain has sort of kicked in, and when I read them, they become a little... Um, maybe not more significant, but significant in a different way. That's really good. I think to me that has always been in my trips to Israel, the the most significant thing is that for some reason, as a person who was not, you know, born into that culture or been to those places, um, I've almost always read location markers in the Bible as just like something you pass over quickly. <laughs> you just kind of like, and then they went from blah, 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 and now the <laughs> story. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just sure. like, just been filler, you know, because yeah. it doesn't mean anything to me. But now if you know where those places are, it becomes like, oh, they went from this place I can picture to this other place I can picture, mm-hmm. or this place that I know where it is to this other place I know where it is. And it's much like, we even talked about this a little bit on the trip. The, there's a biblical, there's a phrase that ha- pops up in the Bible from time to time that, something would happen from Dan to Beersheba. In the Old Testament, they would describe something as, you know, the news spread from Dan to Beersheba. And that phrase, I had read it, you know, a bunch of times growing up and it never meant anything to me. And until I went to the first time and I was like, oh, Beersheba's really far south and Dan's really far north. Okay, so they're saying like it spread throughout the whole country. Oh, so that's a phrase that now means something that would have meant something to every single person reading the Bible the first time they were reading it. And it was meaningless to me <laughs> until right now. If, if, if it had said, and the news spread from New York to LA, it would have been immediately meaningful to me. I would have, mm-hmm. been, oh, coast to coast. You know, that's exactly what they were thinking, but I just had never done the research to know what geography meant. So, no doubt, I love what you guys are expressing about different cultures memorialized differently, but then also our Bibles come to life when we can read them and experience them like the people to whom they were written. So thanks, guys, for your insights, and thank you so much for being on this trip. Uh, the The quality of our videos will have no doubt increased because of your expertise and also our fun 
dramatically increase because of your fun personalities, <laughs> especially your you adventurous guys, food eating, Aaron. Yes, on my word. <laughs> yeah, but, we didn't. How come that didn't make the list, Aaron? Well, that's because of so many reasons. Everybody on the trip is a foodie except for me, and I'm like, can can your boy get a peanut butter sandwich? <laughs> and they were and like, like every, no. they actually forced me to eat something unique every every day, and sometimes that was for me unique is like I ate an olive. <laughs> that's how boring it's I am. It's a little sad. But anyway, they brought a lot of color and flair. Thank you guys. Thanks to Oday and creative for being a part of this and it really is our pleasure you have to bring us next time also okay (laughs) we'll see what we can do (laughs) thanks everybody thanks for listening and uh we'll see you guys next time 